Thank you, choir. That leads right in to our text today. Uh, we have four of them. You may remember we're going to be reading. Usually we'll take a, a single scripture. And I'll preach from that passage. But we're going to continue incorporating Old Testament reading, Psalm, New Testament, and, um, and the gospel reading so that we have we continue to see not just how God's word is proclaimed in particular places, but how um, the fullness of God's word, Old Testament and New, come together um, and speak it with one voice. And so this morning we're going to have passages from Nehemiah, from Psalm, the book of Psalms, from the Gospel of Luke, and from 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to read the first and last one, and then I'm going to have some help in the middle. And so I invite you... <clears throat> To listen carefully and listen well, um, Nehemiah is, is a great book, and uh, you may remember that kind of Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, those books go together um, because the people had been taken into exile. Ezra comes back, they come back and they rebuild the temple, and then the people return, and so they're coming back, coming back, I mean, we don't have long enough to imagine what that would be like to be completely removed from your family, from your home, to, to go uh, hundreds of miles away to a place you've never been, different culture, but then finally to come home. And the difficulty of that and then the joy of that, and they're coming back. And here in this particular moment, uh, they are returning to the temple. They're rededicating themselves to God. They're being reconstituted as God's people in this place again and reconsecrating the covenant with God. So a lot of really significant, important things happening. And you can see how this unfolds. There are particular stages. The people are in pre precise locations. So, so see if you can, with your mind's eye, uh, catch a glimpse of this. From Ezra, excuse me, from Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. That's the, uh, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadonah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra, <laughs> say that five times fast. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. 
And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, say, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than the honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. And the next reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, starting at the 12th verse and going to the end. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. 
And so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And from Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Here we have recounted Jesus coming back to Nazareth, his hometown, and reading. Just as we saw in that Nehemiah passage, Ezra stands and reads. Now Jesus is the one who reads the words of the Scripture. It's like Chuck just got done reading. And just like Chip was the reader. This day, Christ read the word. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. 
and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And, was his, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, so one thing I wanted to note, I didn't do in the announcements, was I, so every now and then we can kind of catch a glimpse of what, what, it, what it appears that God is doing in us, in our midst, right here in our congregation. And so uh, for the last few weeks, um, that scripture, and it's funny, this comes together on this Sunday, but the scripture passage that Chip read about the body um, being one but having many parts, and we need one another to live out this call God has given us. Uh, we need to be one, even in the midst of our uh, differences and those things that make us unique. We are one in Christ, one in his body. I'm seeing lots of places where that's beginning to happen on deeper levels, are being joined together in a deeper way. Uh, one of those is a Sunday school class that started downstairs and two others that are ongoing and two for the kids that continue to be great gifts. And so all the, all the goodness that happens in that bit of time before worship or after worship on a Sunday morning. Family night supper was wonderful on Wednesday night and um, it, was, it, was, it was easy. It was enjoyable. Um, there's a, there's a comfort level, I think, that continues to grow. And the children were, were running around, and I had to come ease them down here in the sanctuary a little bit. But it was a blessing. Bobby is, is, has this second gathering going where the children are going to come, which will be a gift, hopefully, to their parents. And while they're here, they're going to eat lunch and enjoy being together and play. But they're also going to make things for... The seniors of our church, Valentine's Day cards. So it's bringing together all these different parts and pieces of the body in one event. And it's, it's, it's affecting different people in different ways and will be a gift to enter into and receive. Um, not just in the church, but also I'm hearing 
more and more stories of things going on outside these walls where people are coming together in different ways uh, and enjoying one's company, getting to know each other on a deeper level. And so I just want to point that out and to rejoice in that and to give thanks for that and also to, to encourage you to keep your eyes open for opportunities for yourself where God might be opening in a door um, or a life or an opportunity so that so you can attend to it and not miss it. Look for those places, both in the formal ways that we enter into that and also the informal ones. On Thursday, or excuse me, on Wednesday night at Family Night Supper, um, I was walking around just before we got started, and Brody Smith was sitting in the back corner by the stairs in a green chair. Don't know if you noticed that chair or not. Uh, he was over there kind of swinging his legs, and so I kneeled down there beside him and said, Brody, you know who ch- whose chair that is? <laughs> he didn't know whose chair that was. And I said, that chair belonged to my granddaddy. And when I was your age, he would pick me up from sh- preschool, take me home, feed me lunch, and then after lunch every day, he would climb in that chair right there. He would sit down and he would open up his Bible and get out his red pen and he would take notes and he would... Read it every day. I, rem- I can see him sitting right there. And then after that, and Brody's eyes were kind of wide like he was listening. <laughs> said, and after that, he would fall asleep for like 30 minutes. And he laughed so, Brody, Brody sometimes keeps it close, you know, to his chest there. But he laughed so hard at that. And this morning, he definitely remembered that he would fall asleep. And it was great because I was telling Brody this story of my grandfather that I could see. that Our, our texts, our passages this morning are all about the Scriptures, right? Nehemiah, they come and they read the Scriptures, reconstituting the body. The Psalms passage, the whole second half of that that Chuck read, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord, it tells us all that the, that the Scriptures do, how they're effective. Um, and then the Luke passage, Jesus is the one who reads the Scriptures and says, I fulfill them. And then finally we come uh, to what happens as the scriptures are read over the people, it binds us together as the body. It's, it's all about the scriptures. And so I'm telling Brody the story about um, my grandfather. And I'm thinking, you know, every time Brody's dad has preached in our church, while it, one of the central and driving themes of while he's preaching is the goodness of the scriptures. And what a gift they are from God. And how we're invited to to live into them and out of them and to trust these words that God gives as a gift. And even to have the boldness to speak them out loud over one another, over ourselves even. Do you remember that invitation from him? To speak the promises of God over our lives. And so I know that Brody is going to also have memories when he's my age of his dad and his family and the ways that the scriptures were Sometimes explicitly spoken of as important, but sometimes he just saw his dad reading and studying and modeling for him that life that is shaped and formed by the Word, such that this Bible isn't just a book about things that happened years ago, but it's actually your biography. I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like your biography, the story of your life is found here. It's not something separate, but our lives are a continuance of that life that we read about here by the Spirit. That's not foreign to our church throughout its history. 
the formative aspect of the word in this congregation. Uh, I see Linda standing in the hallway back there. And I remember a sermon that I preached that Doris, her mother, listened to. It was during Advent. I spoke about how uh, it, uh, when Jesus goes uh, and is born in Bethlehem, that typically we see all these signs and, and, and um, uh, nativity scenes of Jesus in a barn. But the odds were, it was the tradition is it was a cave, but there's a very good chance it was also someone's home because in those days the animals lived in the home. You might remember some of that. And I said, I don't know this is what happened, but I invited people into that uh, through a particular way in the Scripture. And Doris came back to me the next week after church, and she said, I went home, and I looked everywhere in the Bible because I did not like what you had said. But you know, you were right. It doesn't say that Jesus was born in a barn. I'd heard that my whole life, but it's not in the Bible. And she was fine with it then. It was okay. It was not, it was not like this is how it happened, but it could have been. And we had a woman in our church who was a member of this church her entire life. And she wanted to make sure that her preacher was preaching from the Bible and not making stuff up, right? So that goes deep, not only in our church right now, but also throughout the years. So this morning, I want us to take a look at how the testimony of the Word of God from the Old Testament and Nehemiah to those worship um, examples of worship in the Psalms to the Gospel to the New Testament reading is speaking to us of God's Word but, and also shows us what happens as we give ourselves to it. So first, let's go for a second um, to Nehemiah. Each one of these passages have common themes. And I don't know if you caught this, but every one of them takes, takes place in worship with the body gathered. Now usually when I think about the Bible, I'm thinking about myself sitting and reading on my own where it's quiet. Or I'm thinking about my grandfather who sat in his chair and paid attention. He was reading the scriptures. He was receiving from them. That's very important. We all need to be doing that. But in every single one of these passages, that is not the typical shape that is given to reading and hearing the word. It is together. Nehemiah shows us that as the people come together. The book of Psalms, it says that Psalm 19 is written by David to the choir master. It's sung in worship. Jesus comes into the synagogue and reads in the company of the people. And the passage from 1 Corinthians is about the body and how we are fit together. Every one of these takes place in the context of the worshiping community. And how does Nehemiah frame that for us? You know, they're living in a time um, when the body, where the people of God have been separated Right? They were conquered. The exile takes place. Some of them were left in Israel. Some of them were taken off into exile. But now, through God's sovereignty, the people have been restored and returned. The temple is rebuilt. The people come back to fill it. 
And what happens is, as they reconstitute, as they give themselves back to this covenant relationship with God, as they praise God for his goodness in bringing them home, could you imagine like, the goodness of that? Um, people are crying. Did you catch that? As the word of the scripture is read, they're weeping. They are so thankful. Have you ever heard the scriptures read and it brought you to tears? There are only some particular moments where that happens for us. You could imagine the depth of feeling that they have in this moment. They come back and what do they do? They worship. How? Ezra, the priest, with the book of the law, stands on a wooden platform that is built for that purpose so that he will be higher, not he, so that the word will be higher than all the people, so that they look up to give it attention, so that it will go out and fall upon them. You know, this platform's wooden underneath. That's not an accident either. So Ezra the priest stands and reads, but then there are all those crazy names, right? You guys were laughing at me on the left and on the right. Um, you know, if they heard uh, John and Connie and uh, Chuck, they'd probably laugh at us too. But there were folks on the right and on the left, and did you catch what their job was? Ezra reads... And all those folks who have gathered around, kind of like the choir is here, had the responsibility of speaking the, these words of Scripture to the people and helping them to understand. So that the, because the word isn't for Ezra the priest, the word is for God's people, but the way that it comes to God's people and is received by all God's people happens through this particular process, right? And the word goes out upon them and falls down over them and they give themselves to God's word. And they read it from the morning until midday. So if you think we actually kind of read for a longer time this morning, you guys had not seen anything yet, right? Just wait till we get started. Now, why do they do this? In part, because God's word is effective. God's Word actually does things and accomplishes things. Um, the Scriptures tell us that God's Word is sharp. It is active. Um, sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of joint and marrow. God's Word works its way into us. God's Word finds those places on us that need pressing, that, that like a surgeon, need to be entered into and um, you could imagine a wound that needs to be drained and so it pierces us and opens us so that it can be received because it heals us. God's Word is effective. And Chuck read from Psalm 19 and it tells us how God's Word is effective. There were some particular things listed. Here's a few. It says that God's Word, the law of the Lord, revives our soul. Another word for soul is life. God's Word brings to life our life. It revives us. It revivifies us. It brings us back to life. And we can, see, we can see that how that happens in small ways, but we can also see how ultimately that will happen when you are dead. Who is the Word? Jesus will bring you back to life in the resurrection. What else? The Word makes us wise. 
The word of the Lord makes us wise. We live in a challenging time, don't we? A confusing time, a hard-to-figure-out time. God's word, when it is read in worship, when the body gathers together, is effective. It makes us wise. Do you think we might need some of God's wisdom right now? And not just cable news wisdom or Facebook wisdom or the guy down the street who has really strong opinions wisdom? Might we need God's wisdom when you come and we gather and God's word is read and it goes out over us? It's not just like how forcefully or clearly we read. God's word is effective in us to make us what to make you wise, to help you live. God's word rejoices the heart. It brings joy to you. That was actually a theme throughout the whole thing. The word and rejoicing. Nehemiah. Ezra reads, uh, we're told that the people are told not to weep because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The word of the Lord, when it comes upon us, when it is spoken to us, it works within us and through us and, and, uh, and with us and brings joy to our hearts. The word of the Lord enlightens our eyes. It helps us to see clearly ourselves, one another. Helps, uh, helps us to understand how we actually do receive it. It tastes like honey to our lips. It is delicious. It is sweet. It nourishes. It's enjoyable. And the word of the Lord also warns us. Not in necessarily the uh, um, punitive way or a scolding way, but in the way that a parent... like. I tell Spencer not to touch the oven, right? Because I'm warning her. I don't want her to get burned. I want her to experience goodness uh, and health. The word of the Lord actually warns us in ways that we need to hear. George Herbert, pastor and poet, uh, wrote um, a series of poems called The Temple. In that, he has two on Scripture. The first one, he, he sort of reiterates some of these themes. He says that the, the Word of God is sweet. It's delicious, like honey to the lips. He says that the Word of God is a healing medicine. We live in a time when we're obsessed with our health. Like, the articles on my phone are all about, like, eat this thing to live way longer, or put this stuff on your face so you'll look way younger. And it's just that the health industry is huge. This tells us that the word of the Lord is actually a medicine which brings healing to our lives. Uh, George Herbert says that the scriptures are a mirror which reflect. So you could imagine looking into the scriptures and seeing a mirror, seeing ourselves truly, both as we are made in the image of God, but also those places where we have blemishes that need to be corrected. And he says the scriptures are not just a mirror that reflects, but also one that transforms. Even as we gaze into it and receive from it, the scriptures, God's word transforms us so that our image now aligns with who we are in Christ. Um, George Herbert says that the word of the Lord is like a well that washes the one who looks into it and brings uh, cleansing and health to us in this way. Describes it as an ambassador for heaven contending with hell. As a down payment, here's that theme again, of the joy which is to come. The psalmist, George Herbert, they understand how effective God's word is in our lives. And that's why when we come together in worship, 
It is read aloud. It comes upon us. And the most important thing the Word does, we just read a long list of what God's Word does for us. The most important thing the Word does we see in Luke. It leads us to Jesus. What happens when Jesus, just like Ezra, stood at the front and read the Word? And Jesus comes into the synagogue and He stands at the front and He reads the Word and there are attendants, there are people up you see how this, the same pattern is lived out, just like the choirs here? There are attendants who live here. Jesus reads, and he hands it off to people who are with him there, whose job it is to be stewards of the word, and all the people here. And then Jesus sits down, and all eyes are on him. After he has read this passage from Isaiah that says, the Lord has anointed him in the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom of release to the captives. Recovery of sight to those who are blind. The year of the Lord's favor. He says, everything you just heard has been fulfilled right now as you heard it read. And he's finished. Now, interestingly, Jesus could have kept reading in Isaiah because there's a passage about uh, and warnings of, of kind of judgment and destruction that come, but he stops with the year of the Lord's favor, with the goodness that is to come. And before all that, the, the judgment comes, he rolls the, the scroll up and passes it back and says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. What has been fulfilled? This promise from Isaiah, yes. But all the words of the scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. When he's, after his resurrection, when he's on the road to Emmaus, he goes through the Old Testament. And he tells the two disciples who walk how all of these things must happen for the Messiah. How all of these words point to him and are fulfilled in him. The scriptures bring you to Christ. And when that happens, we see 1 Corinthians 12 unfold. Because today... The scriptures have been read from a raised platform with people on the right with crazy names and on the left, right? And so that the people might understand and it's been effective in our hearts. It has touched you in particular ways. I don't know exactly how, but it's worked its way into you and it's leading you to Jesus. And when that happens for each of us, for Holly and Olivia, for Ann, for John, for Jimmy, when that is happening... It makes us the body. Whose body? Christ's body. A hand and an eye, a head and a foot. We can't say to one another, I don't, I don't need you. No. I need, I need Gene and Brenda and Junior and Peggy. She made me us an amazing meal this week too. And you need me. And you need each other. And we actually live in a particular moment that's sort of like the exile. And hopefully sort of like the return. When Nehemiah was written, some of Israel was still in, in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem or in, the, in Israel. Some of Israel had been taken into exile. I read this morning, 30% of Christians in the United States have nothing to do with church anymore since the time of, since the pandemic have just stopped can you look around this room and remember where people sat are there people that you miss 
Are there faces that are no longer present with us? Is the body somehow divided in a way? What do we do about that? Now, I, I don't want to make, this is not to, 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 there's nuance in every single one of those lives and persons and health situations. And um, that's not to pro- paint with a broad brush, okay? We can't, that's, that is, uh, that's not truthful or fair. Not painting with a broad brush. Um, but I think there is something that we can do and something we can commit to. And that's reading the word of the scriptures in the midst of the people. Because this is what binds us together. Not a common political affiliation. Not a common strategy for how to navigate COVID-19. Not our likes or dislikes or preferences. Who binds us together is Jesus Christ. And the spirit, as the word of the scriptures are read, is effective in us. So let's just keep doing that. Out of all the things you could have done on a really cold, kind of maybe a little bit iffy road conditions morning here in January, out of all the things, this is the most important thing that you could have possibly done. And you are here. And I'm glad that we can be together so that the word can fall upon us and bind us to Christ and to one another and to this task of living out the life God is calling us to as one. So thanks for being here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.